Well, good morning. morning. I'm excited to be here with you this morning. If you're guests with us, thanks so much for coming and hanging out with us today. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, my name is John. I get to be teaching pastor here. If there's ever anything we can do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. If you're joining us online via our live stream, thanks for coming and hanging out with us today as well. Today we are kicking off a brand new series called Nehemiah, and it's about the book of... Wow, you're so smart. So proud of you. It's good. We're very excited about diving into this new topic. And the reason we're excited about diving is because we just we know that the Bible is it's God's word. And God's word is powerful. It's powerful to speak into our lives, to literally bring change into our lives and our situations. Maybe that's just comfort, or maybe that's to call us in a new direction, or maybe it's just the peace of knowing that our God is in control. But today we're going to begin this, and not only are we going to begin that in here, but we also have uh, a Bible study that Pastor Tim's in there teaching right now, so pray for him. And uh, we're very excited that he and I are going to be team teaching that, so whenever he's preaching, I'm teaching. When I'm preaching, he's teaching. And uh, it's going to make sure that we both know Nehemiah very well. It's great. And, uh, but we want to do that. We want to dive into it, because I don't know if you've ever had an experience like this, but have you ever been listening to the radio or maybe even singing along to a song that you, you just know, and you're just singing away and singing away, and then you actually stop to think about the words that you're saying and go, what? Have you ever had that experience where you go, man, I wish I could just see the music video right now and try and figure out what in the world this singer is talking about? Maybe some lines like some of these. Let's see. Are we human or are we dancer? I don't know what that means. How about this one? I am the Eggman, they are the Eggmen, I am the walrus, goo goo gajoob. Beautiful lyrics, that's the next one, keep it going. What about elephants? Have we lost their trust? Apparently Michael Jackson had a very deep relationship with elephants that I do not. Next, before you came into my life, before I ever knew you, I missed you so bad. Yeah, that makes sense, how about this one? Beat so big, I'm stepping on leprechauns. You know darn well that was somebody sitting in a room go, what rhymes with this word? Leprechauns! Right? It has nothing to do with anything. How about this one? The reflex is an only child. He's waiting in the park. I have no idea. All right, and how about this last one from good old Taylor Swift? Beautiful song. Because you were Romeo, I was a scarlet letter, and my daddy said stay away from Juliet. Poor Juliet. I don't know what the deal is, right? Have you ever listened to these? Well, here's the thing. Sometimes that's how reading the Bible can be for us, is we read it and we go, huh? It was written in a different time, a different context, to people of a different culture. So analogies, sometimes we miss them. And honestly, let's be honest, it's why we come to church. It's why we go to Bible study, right? You liars. (laughs) Go to Bible study. We have two hours of it. It's great. And two hours of kids programming, because... Two hours of kids programming. I have kids. That's a valuable thing. But sometimes you read the Bible and you read it once and twice, ten times, and you go, I just don't get it. But the reality is there's so much there. And you have to think, if if these texts have been around for thousands of years, taught all over the world to a billion people this morning, Man, there's something powerful and real in there. And we can just read it and pretend. I call that playing church. We just go, yeah, that's nice. You know, that's what we, we don't want that on a Sunday morning here. I always say, when I preach, I want to preach and do something in your life. I want to impact your life. I don't want this just to be, okay, check, I did what I was supposed to do, went to church. That's playing church to me. And sometimes I think that's what we do when we read the Bible. We just play the Christian thing. Well, I read the Bible, 
and you don't get it. You don't understand it. You don't have no idea what's going on. And so what we want to do with this is we want to dive deeper because by diving deeper, you're going to have a bigger appreciation for the text, for what God is trying to get across to you in this. Again, these texts have, have been around for so long. There's a reason that God would want these in your hands today. And so that's what we want to do. We want to dive deeper. We want to see exactly what it is that God would have us learn in Nehemiah. And as we look at Nehemiah, what we're going to see is, um, well, last month we spent the entire month talking about what God would undo in our lives. What are those bad things, those things that God would undo in our lives and to make more room for good things? If you weren't here this past month, I just encourage you to go back and listen online. They were just very honest and raw and real messages from us as your pastors just acknowledging that we don't have it either, but God certainly does. And then this month, as we get into Nehemiah, what we're looking at is this idea of, okay, God's undone some great things in our, some, some things in our life that need to be undone. Right? I look at, back over the last month and I realize that God you know, undid some self-doubt in me and some fear and shame and some struggles that I had. And what that does is that leaves some voids in my life, some areas where now God can rebuild. And so as we look at Nehemiah, we're going to look at this idea of God as someone who rebuilds and restores and repairs. So my question to you today and for this entire series is to really think and pray about what is it that God would rebuild in your life? What in your life needs to be rebuilt? What's been destroyed? Maybe by your own hand. Maybe it's been something done to you. Where is it that God needs to rebuild in your life? And so what we want to do is this morning, it really, it's just going to be kind of an introduction. Uh, we're going to dive into chapters one and two, but what I want to do as we dive into those is just kind of walk with you through the process that I take as I look at a text, and I look at it not only for my sake, but also as I prepare to preach it, and help you to try and grab a hold of some of these ideas uh, of what, what God would have us learn in this. And the reason I want to do that is because not only can you come here and go to Bible study to hear Nehemiah, we're going to send out a Bible reading plan today uh, via email. So if you're not in our email, uh, email groups, make sure you go to the Connection Center, give them your email, and you're going to get a Bible reading plan just to be reading along with us throughout the next seven weeks. And I want you to be able to actually understand what you're reading and to take some time with that. And so uh, today you can go ahead and pull out your Bibles. Uh, if you uh, have one on your phone, that's awesome. Otherwise, you can use the ones in the chairs, either in the, uh, underneath your chair or in the front row in front of you. Uh, just so you have it open, it's on page 398. And if there's not there, then maybe behind you, you can steal one. There you go. I don't know. That way you can have it in front of you and you see, and don't, hey, don't ever hesitate. If you don't know where a book of the Bible is, there is a table of contents in your Bible for a reason. Uh, so don't hesitate to use that as well to find what you're looking for. So here's what I've come up with for diving deeper, because I'm weird. I came up with scuba as my word for the day. Everybody say scuba. scuba. It makes sense, right? Diving, diving deeper, scuba. I don't know. It's weird, but it fits with how I do my process, so I came up with it. So um, S is for scan. This is a very simple way that I start with uh, when I'm pre preparing to read a text or kind of dive into it. I just scan through it first, because my thing is I don't want to get caught up in too many details at the beginning that I get lost in that, so I want to scan through and get a, just a basic understanding of what's happening in a text before I get too deep into it. This is what I call the husband reading of a text. Ladies, it's, it's, you know, when you're talking away to your husband and he goes, uh-huh, 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 and you ask him what you said, and he kind of knows, but not really, 
That's, that's, what, that's all this is. This is the scanning through. This is just, okay, what's the basic ideas? I'm not going to get all the details. I don't know how you felt every minute of the day, but I'm going to get the basic details of the scripture here, or the basic ideas. And the basic ideas we get from chapters 1 and 2 is very simple. We learn about who Nehemiah is, and we learn about his plan. It's very simple. We learn about uh, the fact that he's a cupbearer to the king. That might not sound like a really cool job, like, oh, he holds a cup. Ooh, right? But what he actually did was he was the taste tester of the wine before it would go to the king. He got to drink on the job. But his job was to make sure there wasn't poison. So the only way he really did his job was die if it was in there. So I don't know how good of a job that really was. But because they had to, the king had to depend on him, they became very close. They were, you couldn't help but be close with this guy because he was always with the king. And so the king would you know, lean on him for advice or just as a sounding board. They had a very close relationship. And what we see in the text is Nehemiah's brother coming and talking to him. And Nehemiah asks him about Jerusalem, Jerusalem being the city of God's people, of the Jewish people, right? That's where the temple was, where the center of their religious faith really was, but really also of their identity. And he would ask, and he asked about the condition of the walls, and his brother filled him in on the city and what's going on. Now, the city had been destroyed by uh, Israel's enemies 140 years before this. 140 years. And so uh, it's not like Nehemiah didn't know what was going on. He knew what was going on. But when he heard it firsthand from his brother, it just broke his heart. And so then we hear Nehemiah's prayer to God, what he's experiencing, what he's feeling, what he's kind of thinking about. And then we see how he turns to other people, uh, turns to the king, turns to others, looks for help in making it his goal to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So that's kind of our scan through. And as we look at, and we kind of scan through it, it's really important now to turn to our context. Because as you know, context means everything. Am I right? Right? Because my day is drastically different if my boy says I missed and he's playing basketball or he's going to the bathroom. <laughs> I know, you're like another bathroom joke, John, really? <laughs> you can take the boy out of junior high, can't take the junior high out of the boy. That's all I can say. Um, but context is everything. So you have to look at what's surrounding this text. So as we look at chapters 1 and 2, we really have to look at what's the book before this, the book of Ezra, and then even what's going on in the rest of the book to kind of understand what's happening. What's really amazing, again, 140 years before this is when the walls were destroyed. And what we see in Ezra is they actually were attempting to rebuild the walls in Ezra. Now, it was stopped, it was halted by a king. Turns out it's the same king that Nehemiah is now the cupbearer to. It's the same king that Nehemiah turns to and asks for help. It's the same king who not only doesn't stop Nehemiah, but actually sends him and gives him supplies to build the wall he had previously stopped from being built. That's interesting. To me, that's certainly God saying, this ain't Nehemiah, this ain't the king, this ain't anybody else, this is me. Amen. Because literally that's a huge miracle to take a king who's all-powerful, he can do whatever he wants, and change him so drastically. And so we see that in the first two chapters, then we look at the rest of Nehemiah, and it is just the journey of Nehemiah as he seeks to build those walls, because those walls represented more than just actual security and protection. Those walls were everything to them, because for 140 years, it was evidence of their sinfulness and how they had failed as a people. So what had happened was God let their enemies come and destroy the walls. 
because they continued to rebel against him. And so that for 140 years, here's a people who kept looking at the proof, the evidence of where they had failed and where they had, been, where they had struggled. So not only did they not have actual physical security, but spiritual insecurity was rampant as well. So to build these walls meant so much more than just trying to protect the city. It meant bringing God back to this place, bringing that sense of wholeness as a people back to Jerusalem. And so as, they, as we look at this, we see this journey throughout the entire book of Nehemiah. And so as we look at chapters 1 and 2, we just see it as the beginning of what he's about to do. And I can tell you, just be prepared. As you read through it with us with the reading plan, Pastor Tim and I have been in Nehemiah quite a bit <laughs> the last little while. And we looked at each other and we go, there are some tough chapters in here. Um, tough not because they're difficult to deal with. Tough because Nehemiah is, I would call a type A leader. And he loves lists and lists of names. He is very particular about knowing every name of every person who did everything. So I warn you, you can get through it. It's okay. Read it. Just understand Nehemiah's leadership. But the other thing about Nehemiah, and the reason why Pastor Tim and I really gravitate towards this book, is because of his humble and real leadership. So as we seek to understand this book, that's what we, that's what we do. We, we take this next step where we read the text for understanding. So after you scan through it, you've looked at the context, and if you want more context, a study Bible will often have some history on the book and knowing what's going on. Right now, media, we have a subscription as a church. They have some videos on this. You can find some great resources uh, out there online as well, just to kind of get an idea of a context. But after that, then you go back through and you read it as what I would say the wife reading of the text. Maybe this is just me, but have you ever, have you ever talked, and as a guy, you go, I just mean what I say. If I say the sky is blue, I mean it's blue. But my wife might go, but what do you really mean? Have you ever had that? Yeah, guys, come on now. Don't get elbowed out of this. Like, this is the wife reading. So this is what I, wanna, this is what I want you to do. I, I want you to then dive into the text and read it again and go, okay, I, I know what I scanned through and kind of got, but what does it really mean? And as we look at this, as we look at the text I really focused in on uh, two aspects. One is the text um, of his prayer, of Nehemiah's prayer, and then also verse 18 in chapter 2. And when I got into it, man, when he heard from his brother the condition of Jerusalem, he wept. He was so upset about the, the realities of it. He heard it firsthand. And so when we read his prayer, what I love about it, what I did was I just, I read it, and I read it in a way was like, if I was praying this prayer, what would it feel like? And it was so real and so raw. It's why we love his style of leadership. He wasn't just being ignorant. He wasn't just pretending that everything was okay. He was owning, of, owning up to what had gone wrong. And his prayer was so honest and so real with God. It was, God, I know that we're messed up. I know that we've made mistakes. I know that we haven't lived up to what you've called us to live up to. That's why in uh, chapter 1, verse 7, it says, We have acted very corruptly against you. And have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. He's acknowledging the things that have fallen apart. And he's acknowledging even his role and others' role in that. So my question to you is, where have things fallen apart for you? And maybe it's at your hand, or maybe you say, you know, I, I don't know what my part really is in it. But are you able to have that real and that raw and that honest conversation with God? That's what Nehemiah did. And from there, I, I look at verse 10 where he then talks about how, you know, it's, it's not about me. 
God, it's all about you. He says, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. He acknowledges this, God, it's all about you. God, we, we clearly don't have the answer. 140 years and it's still sitting in rubble. But God, you are good. You are mighty. You are merciful. God, I'm leaning on you. And then what I love is, I love chapter 2, verses 18, because it, to me, it's, it was God's answer to Nehemiah's prayer without God even uttering a word. This is Nehemiah talking to those that he's trying to get involved. See, Nehemiah had plans. He, he went and he surveyed the, the problems and what was going on, and he, he didn't go in there blind. And after he did, he rallied the troops. He got people together to help him. And this is, this is what he said. He said, I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And those people that he was trying to get on board, and they said, let us rise up and build. When I read that to me, this was only a message from God. There is no way that one delusional guy was going to convince everybody that they were finally going to rebuild something that had been stopped over and over and over again, something that had been broken down for 140 years. There's no way it was just him. The fact that they didn't question, they didn't doubt, there was no hesitation in their answer. They said, let us rise up and build. That only points to a God who says, I've got this. I've got this. He put the confidence in them that they needed to rise up and to rebuild. So I ask you, what's God calling you to rise up and build? What's been broken down in your life? Where does God want to rebuild in your life? And then what is he causing, calling you to rise up and build? Maybe you're at the end of your rope and you just wonder, God, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. And things seem destroyed. Where is he calling you to rise up and build? So after we look at that deeper understanding of the text, then I... I look at it again and I say, okay, how is this confirming or challenging my beliefs and behaviors? Maybe it's telling me that, hey, I'm on the right track with some, some things, or maybe I need to make some changes. And so then I, I look at what are the adjustments that it's calling me to make. What, after I read this text, what's happening within me? The way that I put it to everyone is usually to say is, as I deal with this text, how is it dealing with me? And so as we look at this text, as we, we read it and we have this understanding now, we've looked at the context, we've scanned through it just to make sure we have the whole picture. We say, okay, God, what is it that you need to do in me from this text? And for me, it was very clear what the message was that I needed to hear and read from Nehemiah. See, when I think about things being destroyed, I can't help but to think that at some points in my life, I feel like my whole life's been destroyed. Something happened to me just a year and a half ago that something I never expected to happen and something that wounded me and hurt me to the core. My very self-worth and who I was. And honestly, it's something that I don't know that I'll ever fully recover from. But when I think about what's been destroyed in my life, when I think about those walls of Jerusalem and how they've they come down and they look so broken down, I think of my life and I think of what happened to me and I go... Man, God, I feel like everything's been destroyed. All my hopes and dreams for the future, the things that I had always wanted, God, I 
feel like those have been destroyed. I remember the pain from it was so bad. I remember one time being on a cruise, and I was out in the balcony of the room that I was staying in. And the cruise had been pretty tough. It had been tough because I just had a lot of reminders of things that tied in with the pain that I had. I read a quote just recently from Kierkegaard that says, the most painful state of being is that of remembering the future, particularly the one that you'll never have. And I just had constant reminders of the future that I thought I was going to have, and I knew I wouldn't. And the pain was so much. My entire body just ached with pain. I didn't have a scratch on me, but the emotional pain was so much. I remember being on that balcony, and it was like my body was physically drawn to just want to jump in the water. I couldn't take the pain anymore. Thankfully, my brain won out, and I convinced myself that's not what I need to do. And I got back in the ship, and I went and did something that would distract me. But when I read Nehemiah and I think about my beliefs and behaviors and what adjustments I need, I can't help but to think my walls have been destroyed. And I look and I say, I don't know what the answers are. I don't even know why it happened. I don't know what's next in every step of the way. I mean, as a pastor, I have so many people ask me all the time, why do bad things happen to people? Why wouldn't he just stop it? Why? Why does he let this happen? I'm asking them right along with you. I don't always know. For me, for this, I don't know. But what I see in Nehemiah is a guy who, who wasn't caught up with his inabilities. He wasn't caught up in what dragged him down. He wasn't caught up in the destruction. Instead, he surveyed what was happening. He got the help that he needed. And then he watched God work. So for me, I realized I, I had tried everything that I was supposed to do. I tried some things I wasn't supposed to do to try and make myself feel better and try and fix this. But it was coming home after that trip and realizing, man, I get, get back into counseling, talk to my friends, good friends like Pastor Tim, who reminded me that even though this chapter of my life is over, the book isn't. And God's writing new chapters. And so as I look at Nehemiah, I can't help but to think and to read, to feel, to experience that at the end of me, it's only the beginning for God. Amen. When you read Nehemiah and you read the heartfelt prayer that he had, the reality of the destruction, it was real. This isn't just some fairy tale. This was God's people out there, vulnerable, alone, wondering what was going to happen with them, having no answers for 140 years. That's so long that it gets into your psyche as a people, and you start to think, this is just the way it is. It's never going to get any better. And how often do we deal with something for a week, or a month, or a year, or a decade, and we think, how can I deal with this? It's never going to get any better. And yet for 140 years, this is what the people faced. And yet God comes through Nehemiah. God comes through the work that he does and says, but I'm not done. 
You may think that it's done. You may think that it's destroyed. But I have yet to start the rebuilding and the restoration that I have. So as the text deals with me, that's where it deals with me. And I pray that it deals with you. I don't know where you are in your life right now. I don't know at the end of what you're at right now. But I can tell you at the end of your family is just the beginning for God. At the end of a relationship is just the beginning for God. At the end of a career is just the beginning for God. At the end of your finances is just the beginning for God. At the end of your health is just the beginning for God. At the end of it all, at the end of every answer you have, at the end of your rope is just the beginning for God. Our God has plans because our God is a God who restores and rebuilds. And so as we go through this journey together in Nehemiah, as we look and see what he does, read it with us, walk along with us, and take the journey to see what is it that God would rebuild in your life? What is it that he would call out of you and say, this is where I'm going to finally act? It's the end of you, but it's just the beginning of him. That is the way our God works. Our God is in control. Our God is good. His ways are not our ways. Thank God for that. But just remember, at the end of you, at the end of it all, it's just the beginning for him. And today, as we prepare for communion, that's what we do. We confess to God. We confess to him and we acknowledge the fact that it's the end of us, our sin. We can't do enough to get rid of it on our own. We can't do enough to make up for it. So really, we're at the end of it with our sin and our struggles. And so we confess to him, we give it to him because we need him to step in. And that's exactly what he does as he offers us forgiveness. And then he gives us a meal, a very tangible gift in his body and his blood that we can receive and see how he's going to begin something new. So let's turn to our God in a time of confession. Father God, we come to you this day, God, so grateful for the God that you are. A God who is mightier and more merciful and more just and more righteous and stronger than anything that we could ever try to do on our own. And God, we're so grateful that we can come to you, God, and there is no level of destruction in our lives. There is no level of sin in our lives. There is no level of loss in our lives that you are not greater than. And so, God, right now, I ask you to hear us. To hear us as we come to you, as we rightly confess to you, as we open up our hearts to you and confess where we are at the end. We are at the end of it all, God, and we know that we can't make up for these sins on our own. We know that we can't seem to get away from the same struggles over and over and over again. And so, God, we ask you, we ask you to hear our hearts in our confession now. Father, thank you. Thank you for being so merciful and so much better than we deserve. Thank you, God, that we can be real with you. We can 
be honest with you and share with you those struggles that we have. And God, thank you that in your goodness and your kindness and your undeserved mercy, you then forgive us. You give us a brand new beginning. I thank you for loving us in such a real way. In Jesus' name, amen. Know this today and every day. You are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our God is so good and so gracious that he can't stand this idea of not being with you. And so he even gives us a part of himself where we receive Jesus in, with, and under this bread and this wine. We receive him, his body, and his blood. See, on the night when he was betrayed, our Lord Savior Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body which has been given for you. In the same way, also after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Take and drink this cup. This is my blood. It's a new covenant for the forgiveness of your sins, your new beginning. Do this often as you drink of it, remembering me. This is the gift our God has given us to remind us that at the end of us, just the beginning for him. So come and receive. And now may this true body and true blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ may strengthen you and preserve you in the one true faith, the faith of knowing that at the end of you, just the beginning for him, and be with you now until you get to see him face to face. Receive his blessings. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace of knowing you've always got him, even if you've got nothing else. We're here for you. We love you, and we're willing to walk with you through anything and everything. So please know that. Now let's sing out to our God one last time. There's another powerful song as we declare to him how good he is and how much we need him.